to welcome you this morning as you join us today. I hope you've had a blessed week. We're going through our sermon series, and today we'll be dealing with the topic, the death of me. And I hope that you will gain some encouragement and strength from this. If you have your Bible, if you'll take it and open it to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. I hope this message will bless your heart. Boy, if anybody had a right to say this job is going to be the death of me, it was Paul. Let's look at a snapshot of his continuing selfie uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at that there. If you have your Bible, turn with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 16. And uh, here's what it says. I repeat that no one should consider me a fool, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool for Jesus, basically. So I, too, may boast a little. Now, you remember last week we talked about that. When we looked at Paul's ancient selfie, he said, man, if anybody wants to brag, I've got a right to brag. I've got, I've got bragging rights. And so, man, here in this passage of Scripture, he says, now, if y'all want to brag a little bit, let me, let me brag a little bit about what's happening in my life. What I say in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but foolishly, since many boast from a human perspective. Now, that's a, circle that in your Bible, because that is the key to this verse. When people boast, they normally boast from a human perspective on what they're doing in their own strength. Now, he moves forward and says, but I will boast, I will also boast, for you gladly put up with fools. That's an interesting phrase in the Bible, huh? You gladly put up with fools. And he goes on. Since you are also so, so, so smart. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you. If someone devours you. If someone captures you. If someone dominates you. Or if someone hits you in the face, I say to our shame, we have been weak. But in whatever anyone desires to boast, I am talking foolishly. I also dare. Now look at this. Are there Hebrews in the house? So am I. Are there Israelites in the house? So am I. Are there the seed of Abraham here? So am I. Are there servants of Christ here? So am I. Am I talking like a madman? Most people would say yes. But I am a better one. With far more labors. Many more imprisonments. Far worse beatings near death many times. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was in a shipwreck. Now, boy, you'd say you don't want to get in a ship with him, amen. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles. I had dangers in the city. I had dangers in open country. I had dangers on the sea and dangers among false brethren. I had labor and hardship. Many, many sleepless nights. I was hungry. I was thirsty without food. I was cold and I was lacking of clothing. Not to mention other things 
There is one daily pressure that exceeds all of these. My care for all the churches. Who is weak? Not me. Wow. Not me. Now, boy, if anybody had a right to say this job's going to be the death of me, I'd say it was Paul. Amen. Five times he received 39 lashes. The reason he didn't receive 40 was because if you give a prisoner the 40th lash and he died, you had to die with him. So he received 39. If he died on 39, it was okay. But if you gave him 40 and he died, it was you were required to die for his death. So five times he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. We went through that resume of hardship. Now, if anybody had a right to say, whoa, man, this is going to be the death of me. Boy, it was Paul. If anybody had a right to say, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm quitting the ministry. It was Paul. You remember last week we looked at Paul, his ancient selfies. We looked at his selfie before Christ. We looked at his selfie after Christ. We looked at that with great detail and specificity. We went from seeing Paul, who was the afflictor of the brethren, to the afflicted with the brethren. The death of me. Many of us make the statement, this thing is going to be the death of me. But Paul understood an interesting fundamental principle here. He understood the human perspective. From the human perspective, we had all quit. From the human perspective, we would have quit when the ship wrecked. We would have quit way before. I mean, really, one beating? We I mean, come on. I mean, how many of you have went back for some more? I mean, when he was stoned, he was left for dead. And we'll look at this in a minute. But they threw him out in the ditch because they left him for dead because they thought he was dead. But Paul, when he came to, he jumped up. Knocked the dust off of himself. Went right back into the same city. Preaching the same gospel to the same people. And it just stoned him. That's radical isn't it? But Paul understood a principle. That the world does not understand. Paul understood the principle of death. Paul understood that the principle of death was far greater than the principle of life. Because if the power of death was working through him then the power of life was working within him Paul wrote this and we've seen this before and I won't spend much time there but in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 in verse 8 he says now I don't want you to be ignorant brethren concerning the hardships that we've gone through to get back to Corinth to share with you the gospel that we had a sentence of death on ourselves. Now, when we look at this right here and we see that he was beaten five times, 39 times, was beaten with rods when he was stoned and left for dead. I mean, when Paul says we had a sentence of death on ourselves, I mean, he wasn't just making this stuff up. This wasn't ministerial fluff. This was the reality of the adversity that was working within him. It was the reality of the adversity that was at work in his heart and his life. And what God was saying here to Paul is this. That there's something working far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Now Paul, as he's drawing this, gives a couple of principles and insights into death that the world didn't understand. Matter of fact, even today, even today, there's very few people who, when they die, it's a celebration. 
of life. I can count on my hands the number of funerals that I've attended that was an absolute celebratory moment. Now, it didn't mean the families wasn't sad. It didn't mean they didn't cry. But it was a celebration of life. Matter of fact, we just experienced one this week when the founder of Chick-fil-A passed away. The people that filled that place where the death of Truett Cathy and the celebration of his life was unbelievable. Not long ago last year, I drove to Dallas and I experienced a celebration of life. Of someone who passed away who was a radical believer. Someone who exalted the name of Christ above all names. And when we think about this, there's a principle of death that the world doesn't understand. Death marks the end for many people. It could be said this way, that the death is the end of an era. Death is the end of the era for man. It's the end. Here's a good example. <clears throat> this week, uh, it was a lot of, lot of hype, a lot of uh, energy surrounding the unveiling of the new iPhone 6. Amen. And uh, one of the great buzzes that was, a, was happening about this is that this was the first eye product to come out since the death of Steve Jobs. <clears throat> and many people were, that, that he really didn't have his hands involved in it. They, they you know, the, the iPhone 5 came out and that stuff, but he was already connected to that. This is one of the first products that came out that really didn't have his thumbprints on it. And the, and the buzz was this, will Apple be able to keep up without the driven vision of Steve Jobs? And so, it, it and what basically happened was, when the iPhone 6 came out, now there's some cool stuff that came out about it, but it basically caught up with the rest of the competition that had kind of began to leave them behind. And so now it's still yet to see. Will it measure up? Will it measure up that to the same measure when Steve Jobs, it's the end of an era, and everybody's like, oh, will Apple survive? We know that when he exited the scenes last time, they were in the tank. He came back and he rescued it and made it what it is today. It's the end of an era. With the end of life marks the end of an era. So therefore, I hope that your life is invested in greater things than products. You see, the answer to life's equation and success is not what I leave in this world, but what I leave to people in this world, but what I leave in people in this world. What do I leave in them? How do I invest in them? How do I invest in their life? How do I make a difference in their life? It's the end of an era. The death, the death of me is the end of an era. It's the end of an era when you die physically, but it's also the end of an era when you die spiritually. Last week we looked at that with great detail. It was the end of an era for the man named Saul, and he got up and he began to be the man named Paul, who went from being the afflicted, the afflictor to the afflicted. The one who was killing the believers to the one who was now being killed because he was a believer. See, it's the end of an era. The death of me is the end of an era. It's when you realize who Jesus is and we realize who we are and we renounce ourselves and say, Lord, nothing in my hand I bring but simply to you I cling. My hope is not in my church. My hope is not in my preacher, thank God. 
But it's in you, Christ, and you alone. Lord, I need you, God. I need you more than anything. The death of me is the end of an era. Now, as we move forward and we look, we continue to look at this, not only is the death of me the end of an era, but, but these things continue to unveil, and there's an interesting passage of Scripture that I want to show you here. If you'll look with me if you, in, this, in this passage of Scripture, as we unfold it, the death of me is not only the end of an era, but it's the end of me. It's the end of me. It's where you say, Lord, it's not about who I was, but it's about who I am. See, when Paul showed up and started bragging today, it wasn't about his education. It wasn't about his knowledge. It wasn't about his affluence. It wasn't about his wealth. It wasn't about prestige that we looked at last week. But it was about simply, God, there is no more of me because all of me is all of you. John the Baptist said it this way, that I must decrease, that he must increase. See, one of the reasons that we serve such powerless, our churches seem so powerless. One of the reasons that we look around and we say, oh my goodness, why in the world are our churches not making a difference is because we're still so full of me that there's no room for him. There's a big movement and it's been going on for a long time, my whole ministry. And it's, man, you got to get more of the Holy Ghost, more of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever had the second blessing? And yes, but I don't want to settle for no second. I want the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. But let me tell you how you find the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. It's when you give up more of yourself. See, it's not about you getting more Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. It's not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. You see, in order to fill something up, something has to be emptied. In order for it to be emptied, something has to be turned upside down for it to to come out that it might be turned right side up to be filled up with the other product. Now, if you only empty something halfway, then then, uh, you're only going to fill it back up halfway. You see, the death of me is the end of an era. But the death of me becomes the end of me. Look at what Paul says here. We read it in verse 23. He says, man, if you want to brag from a human perspective, I can do it. But let me brag to you for a few moments. Let me brag to you for a few moments and look at what he brags about. And he lists all these things that people should feel sorry for him about. But he says, if you want to feel sorry, from, you know, if you really want to know where my deep affliction is, it's the pressure. It's the pressure of knowing that I am responsible for God's people. And there's no greater joy. There's no greater joy. There's no greater joy. Many people have asked me lately, Pastor, you just seem, you, you just seem like something's got you down. You seem like something's heavy on you. And you know what it is? It's the pressure of knowing that we have the ability to impact Alexandria for the glory of God. To know that we can impact Alexandria beyond a stinking church. Beyond just church is normal. But that we can impact the city for the glory of God in each culture group, in each ethnicity, and each demographic. We can let the light begin to shine. And when you have to begin to say, oh, what's the decision that we make on that? I'm telling you, that's pressure. 
Paul says, if you want to know about the pressure that I really face, it's caring for you. It's caring for you, church of Corinth. It's caring for you, church of Philippi. It's caring for you, church of Ephesus. It's caring, it's caring, it's caring for you. The, The greatest thing is not the affliction to me bodily, but it's what's happening to you. Man, when we get to the place where we say it's all about others, then we've got to the place that it's become all about him. Because it can never be all about others until it's become all about him. Oh yes, the death of me. I've made that statement. It marks the end of an era. It marks the end of me. But the death of me, you know what it really marks, guys? Write this down. Write this down. Put this out on Facebook or something. The death of me marks the doorway to a new beginning. The death of me is the doorway to a new beginning. Think about it. When you die physically, it really doesn't matter what religion you are. Everybody believes there's something that happens after death. Some people believe you live eternally in heaven. Some people believe if you don't know Christ like us, you believe eternally separated from God in hell. Some people believe that if you've done good, then then, you know, and, and, and you die uh, killing Christians and, you know, you'll get to heaven and have some virgins waiting on you there to take care of all your needs for the rest of eternity. Some religions believe that if, if, you, if you do the right things that you can actually evolve into being a god. Some religions believe that, if you, that when you come back, I mean, man, that, that, that you can be reincarnated. It's something else. And, and the way you live while you're here determines what you will be in the next life. If you do good stuff, and you'll, be, you'll come back as somebody better. If you do bad stuff, and you'll come back as a mosquito. I don't know. I mean, they just, it's this whole evolutionary process, but everybody believes something. Something. A lot of people believe false hope. There's, you know how many people, you know how many people want to believe in the Christian worldview? Of eternity. But they don't want. To accept. The worldview of life. They want to believe in the worldview. Of life after. Of the the theological. Let me say this. The theological worldview. Of life after death. But they don't want to believe in the theological worldview. Of life before death. I mean I could call some names out of people. Who's just died recently. I mean. They did everything but love Jesus in their life. And, and at their funerals, they always say, oh, in heaven. They're, they're just up in heaven making people laugh. They're just up in heaven doing A, B, C, or D. I mean, really, if, listen, if you don't live for God here, why do you think he's going to give you all of eternity? See, everybody has. So physically, when we die, everybody believes that it's a doorway to something else. But I'll tell you this, my friends, that when we die spiritually, it's a doorway to a whole new life. For Paul, it was a doorway to a whole new beginning. He was no longer the one being paid to be afflicted, but he was the one who was being afflicted. He wasn't the one who was now, he wasn't, he was no longer the one who was killing Christians, but he was the one who was being killed for being one. 
But you know what Paul realized here in this passage of Scripture that was so interesting? He realized something that the world couldn't understand. And before you get to feeling too sorry for Paul, Paul realized something that he could gain through suffering that he could never gain through peace. Paul realized that he could gain stuff through weakness that he could never gain through strength. Matter of fact, go over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, it is necessary to boast. It is not helpful, but I will, I will move on to visions and revelations because I know a man. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven. Now, let me tell you what the third heaven is real quickly. The first heaven is where our airplanes and birds fly. The second heaven is the outer space where the astronauts fly. The third heaven is where God dwells. And Paul says, I know a man who exceeded the first heaven, who exceeded the second heaven, who exceeded the third heaven. He went to the place that NASA hadn't even figured out how to get there yet. He went to the place that's been described in the book of Revelation. And here's what he says. I know a man who was in the body or out of the body. I don't know, but he was carried away to the third heaven. And God showed him things that could not be understood. God gave him a glimpse of things that could not be uttered. And you know when that happened to Paul? When he was laying in the ditch, left for dead. He was stoned, drug out of the city, thrown into the ditch, and left for dead. And when he was left for dead, God carried him away to the third heaven and said, let me give you a glimpse of something you've never seen. Oh, my goodness. See, what Paul is saying is that he had this affliction then in the end of second corinthians chapter 12 as paul called a thorn in his flesh and he said i asked god to take it away from me but the bible says god gave it to him because the abundance of revelation to keep him humble and and god said paul i'm not taking that away for you but son my grace is sufficient and then it's that great verse that we all love to quote out of context that says, oh, if, 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 if your strength is made perfect in my weakness and I gladly boast in my infirmities, I boast in my weakness that in my weakness I may become strong. And Paul says, let me tell you something. The death of me was an open door. The death of me spiritually was an open door to something I could have never had had I not died to myself to live to Christ. You see, we live in our country today. In the United States of America. In our Western Hemisphere. We feel like it's our human responsibility to erase all suffering. Now, now stay with me for just a moment. Wake up and catch this part right here. We feel like it's our human responsibility to erase all suffering. But do you realize those scriptures in the Bible that you love about mercy and goodness and peace could never be claimed if there was an affliction, adversity, and hardship. Do you realize that to take away suffering and never allow anybody to ever go through a hard, adverse moment again means to shortcut the process of the refining work of the master of the universe? 
do you realize to take away suffering means that we think we are better than Jesus? For Jesus came into this world and suffered poverty in a manger was cleaned up and wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is not those little warm blankets like they take out of the the heater at the hospital, but was swaddling clothes in a manger was what they used to clean the animals. He was wrapped in the the clothes that they used to clean up the animals and use in the stables, those swaddling clothes. He left the poverty of a manger. He lived in a life of a carpenter's son. He, he, He moved on into his ministry. He faced hardship by being hungry. He faced hardship of being weary. He faced hardship of being emotionally broken to the point that Jesus wept. He knew what it was like to lose a best friend whose head was cut off and he needed to just escape and get away. And you know something, I'm telling you my friends, that was adversity. That was suffering. He knew what it was like to go the distance He knew what it was like to receive 39 lashes minus one. He knew what it was like to be stripped naked. He knew what it was like to be humiliated. He knew what it was like to have to carry his own cross. He knew what it was like to suffer the agony of the nails that was driven through his hands. He knew what it was like to be hung upon the cross. He knew what it was like to be forsaken by God at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But he knew what it was like to have the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulder but he knew what it was like to get up on Sunday morning and come up a shouting and saying I have defeated death I have defeated hell I have defeated the grave oh death where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory give him praise in the house of the Lord for that this morning church amen mercy He could have never had the pathway, the doorway open for eternity. He could have never experienced the pathway of the stone being rolled back had he yielded to the flesh in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, mercy, let me move on. I preach on that spell. But last of all, the death of me is the doorway of a life of new beginning. But the death of me, guys... Could be summarized in this statement. Maybe you want to give this a shout out on social media. The death of me is the life of me. He who desires to save his life will lose it. But any man that loses his life will save it. The world doesn't understand that. The world didn't give it, so the world can't take it away. Oh, yes, there's a scripture for that in the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. Guys, ladies, young people, God's been wanting to do a work in your life for a long time. He's already doing a work in a lot of your lives. But he really just wants us to get to a place where he has all of me. Maybe you're sitting there at home today and you're watching us online or by television and you're just like, what do I do, Pastor? 
right where you are. You just pray, Lord Jesus, start in my heart and my life. God, please have your way. Begin anew. And God will begin to do a great work in your life. Just confess your sins. Call out whatever it is He's speaking to you. And then, find a church somewhere. Family of Grace, we would love to take the journey with you, but find you a church somewhere that believes and will support the vision that God has called you to. Let God have His way in your life and great things will happen. Mountains will move. Chains will be broke. And you can have a spiritual breakthrough.